Hey, Jordan. Hey, Judy. How are you? Good. Can you tell Dad where you, myself, and Sarah just went? Hobby Lobby. What did we buy at Hobby Lobby? Green ribbons. You bought green ribbons. What Sarah and I buy? Remember? Christmas tree lights. We bought Christmas trees and Christmas tree lights. Ben, were you impressed with all of our purchases? Yes. <laughs> with excitement. I don't well, know. You called, me, you called me or Circa. I don't know which one called me, but it was like, or you face. I FaceTimed you. Look at this tree. A 12-foot tree or a 9-foot tree? This is for the shirt shop, right, Sarah? Yes. Yes. So a 12-foot tree or a 9-foot tree. I knew exactly you guys wanted to, both of you wanted to buy the 12-foot tree. I, I knew that. So you could just tell. So I knew if I would have said, oh, the nine foot's going to be plenty, you guys both would have came back with the nine foot and it would have been all my fault because I said, get the nine foot instead of 12. So I'm like, I don't care. And I really didn't care. Now, are but you- But why you call me is still puzzling because you never usually give my input on something like that. Well, okay. I think it, it is a rather large Christmas tree when you say that, Sarah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but our warehouse ceilings are very high. So we were afraid if we did like a little Christmas tree, it was going to look like this but little bit Christmas my opinion for Yes, it. because I had Sarah standing next to the Christmas tree. So like you so could... So three foot against 12 foot. <laughs> Let's also mention that we bought two other Christmas trees. <laughs> Not you didn't just call and ask me that. <laughs> you didn't ask me, can I, we got five more trees? Well, we bought three trees total. <laughs> yes. But we thought one will look really good up front. Then we'll have the big daddy in the back and then we do one for pictures but to be fair we we spend more time at the shirt shop than we do at home I agree. Sure, sure. so it needs to be so we don't have to do one at festive home. that's not funny <laughs> okay so here's a little side note sarah you've probably heard the story many times ben and i do not fight very often I think the only real time every year we fight is putting up the Christmas tree because I want this like festive atmosphere with like my cup of hot chocolate and (laughs) Christmas music in the back. And Ben always picks to sit on the couch and watch a movie with so many people like getting blown up on the screen (laughs) And then, so here's Hudson, sweet Hudson wants to decorate the tree with me. And we're like wanting to sip our hot chocolate. And then like somebody is like gut splattered (laughs) on the TV. (laughs) Good TV. So then, and then he was like, I don't understand why we have to put up this tree. I help get the stuff on the very, very top. uh, I do too, because you guys can't reach it. Which, Sarah, that was another problem we had. So we tabled this for another day. We didn't know what to put the top of our Christmas tree for here. Yeah. Like, there, it's a big Christmas tree. So it has didn't, to be something big. Yes. Um, so maybe, who knows, maybe listeners will have suggestions. That we'll, we can post yeah. about our tree on there Facebook, and listeners yeah, can chime in. Um it's going to be really pretty, though. You're going to like it. Hey, Jordan, I'm sure. do you think our Christmas tree is going to look really good? Um, yes. It is. Did you help pick it out? Yes. Yes. Yeah, we did. So then Sarah had to stay in the, in the store waiting for them to bring all three trees to the front. And Jordan and I went and got the truck to pull around. And Jordan kept going, Sarah needs to hurry up. Sarah, you are taking too long <laughs> because you were afraid we were going to forget her, weren't you? Sarah? No. What were you saying? Sarah needs to hurry up. And what was, what was she doing? 
She was taking a drop. She was taking too long. Too long. Yes. Sarah needed to hurry up. Hurry up. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, and I know you're not supposed to put a Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving, but we had a meeting. I think there's a lot of people that do that these days. Yeah. Yeah. But we will still get some people say, but we had a meeting over lunch today and we all agreed like once Thanksgiving hits here, it just gets crazy busy. And so if we don't do it now, we wouldn't have a chance to do it. So Christmas tree's going up tomorrow. We're excited. Here at the shop. At the shop. You scared me. I mean, it'll go up before too long at home, but yeah, it's going up. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. But, But we did, we were playing Christmas music last week. But before Halloween, before Halloween, yes, yeah. that was got a few people that in the shop a little Sarah and Megan uptight, and Ryan were not fans. They're like, You can't do that before Halloween, but it was joyous, <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's what we went. Jordan, tell everybody one more time where did we go and get Christmas trees at the Christmas tree place? At the Christmas tree place, yeah. And yeah. what else did you buy there? Um, green ribbons, green ribbons. Jordan loves ribbon, yeah. All right, thanks for tuning in. Thank you guys so much for coming back and joining us this week. If you listened last week, you heard me interviewing Dr. Temple Grandin. If you didn't hear that, you should go back and listen because this week is part two. It is such an honor to have her back and to really be able to dive deeper into helping individuals with autism find and maintain employment. If you're not familiar with Dr. Grandin, she has done so much to help so many in the world of autism. She has autism herself, and she often speaks all all over the country on her experiences and how the insight she's gained through her own experiences to help others. In 2010, HBO had a movie called Temple Grandin that won seven Emmys. It was just amazing. And I could go on and on about all she has done. Um, But I think the most important thing is to dive in and let you hear directly from her. I have just gained so much insight over the years to help Jordan through Dr. Grandin and all that she shares. So let's get started. When we talk about work, and we've talked a lot about what a parent can do, we have a lot of listeners as well that might be business owners, managers, What can the general person do, business do, to help employ individuals? So you have someone that owns an automotive shop and someone with autism comes and applies there. What can they do to help make that individual successful? Well, one thing is vague directions don't work. Vagueness doesn't work. But most of these um, individuals that got jobs, they start working with a mechanic, often an independent mechanic. And they just start having them do simple things, maybe just cleaning parts in the beginning, Mm -hmm. then gradually doing more and more. You have to find these opportunities in the neighborhood. I talked to somebody the other day and their kids um, fixing stuff on old uh, vintage airplanes. Well, that's another example of, um, of, uh, you know, the mechanics, but the visual thinking mind like me, uh, you can't do algebra, let them do some other form of math. I'm seeing that stopping up from graduating high school. Most of the people I worked with that invented all kinds of mechanically complicated equipment could not do algebra. It's yeah. too abstract. There's nothing to visualize. 
Now I can remember a mathematical formula for some specific thing. Okay, well, I was just talking with, uh, I'm having a conversation today uh, about drone pilot's license. And you have to be able to read aeronautical charts. I could learn to do that. You just have to memorize what the different markings on the chart mean. I can do that. Right. Another question I have is, if a parent tells you their child is just not motivated, what do you tell them? They just, that my child isn't motivated. They don't want to work. How do you get them to see the urgency and push past that? Well, I was absolutely not motivated to study. Um, I was running the school's horse barn, cleaning nine stalls every day. But Mr. Carlock, my science teacher in high school, gave me all these interesting projects to do. And then I wanted to become a scientist. Overnight, my motivation changed. Because now studying was the path to becoming a scientist. Yes. It wasn't just something to you know, make the family happy. There was now a real reason for studying. And overnight, my motivation changed. You've got to give them a reason for it. And I wanted to become a scientist. So I knuckled down and I started studying. Algebra I can't do, but English and history, I was just goofing off. Yeah. One of the things we noticed with Jordan was before we created the shirt shop, a lot of what she was doing was repetition, but not really for a purpose. Like you do a task box to do it. And then she watches somebody undo it just for her to do it again. It really is not motivating, but when exactly, I'm a, that's not motivating. You've got to do real work. You make a shirt and you sell it. That's real work. 100%. I went to in Texas, they make statues of Santa Claus and they sell them in the gift shop. That's real work. Yes. And so that's what I want people to realize. Don't judge the child's unwillingness to work on busy work. When we switch to real work and Jordan saw she was doing something and then it was being sold, that was the motivation. Like that changed everything for her. I think any of us would be able to look at, you know, doing something in the very next day, people undoing it, that that's not motivating to anyone. And I think that's often what we do with our kids. And I wish, I want parents to see past that and realize if we can teach them real jobs, the motivation becomes so much easier. Well, what they did with some of the more severe clients, they, they figured they could paint parts of the statue. Yes. You know, they, they found something that they could do that still was real work. Yes. The real work part that you say, I think that is just key. And I think it's the key that so many are missing, whether it be in school through IEPs, whether it's after they get out of school, that is a huge component that's missing. And it, it's key to our kids. I've talked to guidance counselors at college and they tell me that some of the students are motivated and some are not. Well, you have to have a reason to go to school. It has to be a pathway to a goal. How do you talk to teachers? We have a lot of teachers that follow along. How do you help encourage teachers to maybe change their style, change their classroom to help students find that, you know, that goal, that energy, that drive? How do you encourage teachers? Well, I don't think in generalities like that. The thing that motivated me 
is school went from something just to make the family happy. That didn't motivate me. Yep. To becoming a scientist. That became the motivation. You're going to okay. have to do, do something like that. There has to be a reason for it that's meaningful. You know, with some of the nonverbal individuals, they're making them learn their colors. But it's just sort of in a vacuum. Right. It doesn't mean anything. Yes. Okay, if we're going to learn fractions by cutting up a pizza, that means something. Okay, now we're going to share the pizza equally, cut it up in four pieces. So that teacher that's teaching colors... What advice would you give them to help that teacher associate meaning with it? All right, let's look at red and green, yellow in the stoplights. Okay, now that has something meaning. Yep. Crossing the street. And now this brings up driving. Now, too many kids aren't learning driving. If I hadn't learned to drive, I would not have been in the cattle industry. That's something. I did 200 miles on my dirt, on my grandparents' dirt road. Okay. A lot more practice. Yep. Much more practice in a totally safe place. 20 minutes a day, big parking lots, dry fields, back country roads. Because you got to get that driving into motor memory before you touch traffic. Yeah. A lot more practice. But what limits a lot of them is they do not drive. Right, because transportation is a huge barrier then. That's a huge barrier. And uh, cattle industry would not have been possible if I had not learned to drive, it's going to take longer. Absolutely. And I had to learn on a manual transmission. I grew up as a farm girl, so I totally understand that. <laughs> yep, three on the tree. A really <laughs> terrible clutch. That's what I learned on. <laughs> yeah, so that that did complicate things, but that's that's good. Yeah, I that's amazing advice. And again, I hear oftentimes how transportation is a major barrier. So I think a lot of parents are just overwhelmed at the thought of even how to get started with it. Well, there's some there's some programs now with driving simulators, where they can get a lot more practice. Mm -hmm. But if that's not available, 20 minutes a day, in the giant parking lot. Okay. That's where you start the middle of a big field. That's where I started. 20 minutes a day. And the mailbox on the ranch was three miles away. So we drove up to the mailbox, got the mail and came back. Perfect amount of time each day, 36 miles a week. And then gradually got into traffic. Okay. At what age did you start driving? Yeah, I was probably about 19. Okay. You've mentioned your mom a couple of times throughout this this podcast. And I, like I said, I've, I've read some of you, I've read many of your books. I've read your mom's book. How influential was your mom in where you are today? Oh, very influential. She knew just how much to push me, stretch me just slightly outside my comfort zone and give me choices. I remember one time I was afraid to go to the lumber yard to buy materials myself. I didn't want to talk to the staff and I knew how to drive and mother made me go. <laughs> she wasn't sure if that was the right thing to do. I got kind of upset. I got the lumber bought. It was the right thing to do. I knew how to drive, but I was afraid to go into the store and ask for the stuff I wanted. It was the right thing to do. In fact, mother wrote about that in her book, making me go to Weber's Lumbia. Oh, yeah. It was the right thing to do. Too many parents are way too overprotective. And I've seen moms break down and cry when I suggested something like, okay, you're pumping gas at the gas station, hand the kid a $5 bill and have them run in the shop and buy something. 
and they're afraid to do that. And they're right there. They can see into the store. Right. While they're putting the gas in the car. So I see too many parents get into what what um, Deborah Moore calls label locking. And I think oftentimes as moms, I think society that label is there. And I think we, we spend so much time hearing what our child isn't capable of. And then we spend so much time seeing what's not available. And that all becomes paralyzing. And I think parents have got to reach the shift of not focusing on what's not available and start focusing on making something available, making opportunities happen everywhere you go, look and see what could my child do in this store or that store, or because more than likely you're going to try one thing and it's not going to be an automatic success. But if you keep trying, you will find what works for your child. Well, I saw Doors to Opportunity. There's a scene in the HBO movie where I go up and I get the editor's card because I knew if I wrote for our state for our magazine, that would really, really help my career. I saw that door. And then I produced a good article. You know, a lot of people just don't see these opportunities. Mother saw the sewing shop in a lady's house and she knew I was very good at hand sewing and approached the lady about having me work for her. I was 13. Is there anything that you suggest for parents of very young kids? Like, you know, they're starting out on their journey of autism. Every, like their whole world has been turned upside down. They really don't know what to do. You know, how soon do you recommend parents starting on, you know, life skills, independence? What do you recommend for parents? All right, let's just start with a two-year-old and a three-year-old. And that's what this book is for that I did with Deborah Moore, Navigating Autism. The parents freaking out over the label. Yep. Got to change the attitude. First of all, when the kid's three, you don't know how they're going to come out. Exactly. I look very, very severe. You just don't know. But you got to start early intervention now. At least 20 hours a week of one-to-one instruction with an effective teacher really important. So what's an effective teacher, right? More speech, more ability to take turns, and more skills like putting on clothes and eating with utensils. That's what you do with three year olds. You don't wait two years for diagnosis. You gotta do something now, right? And in some of the low income communities, you could have um, work with a grandmothers in the neighborhood. Some of them would be very, very good at working with children. Very good. When we first got Jordan's diagnosis, we were living in Missouri at the time. And there was, I mean, this was 19 years ago and we were in Missouri. There were very few therapists available. So what we did was we were in Columbia. So the University of Missouri was there and we just looked for college students that were majoring in either special ed or speech therapy. And then we, you know, kind of trained them on how to work with Jordan on, you know, the basic stuff. And it ended up working great for us. But if we'd have waited for those licensed therapists, they weren't there. And so we had to start somewhere or we were just going to lose time. You've got to start working with these kids early. Yes. I was in therapy by two and a half. That's really important. You've already got a diagnosis. The kid doesn't talk. Yes. Behavior's like really strange. Now they ruled out deafness. You've got to rule out deafness. 
Mm-hmm. And they checked me for epilepsy, which I did not have, thank goodness. And so if any of our listeners aren't familiar with that, what epilepsy is, it's a seizure disorder. And it is actually very common in individuals with autism. We're very fortunate that Jordan does not have that either. Now that usually improves the, the functioning level. They don't have epilepsy. Yeah. And you have to make sure the kid's not deaf. You've got to rule that out. Yes. Yeah. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to make sure our listeners know? Well, we got to start looking at what the kid can do. The other thing, I think the reason why that grandparent has a job and today's kid doesn't, social skills were taught in a much more structured manner. When the parents had parties, the kids had to put on their good clothes when they were seven or eight years old, greet the guests, take the coats, serve the snacks, talk to the guests that taught social skills. Also, there was a lot of using teachable moments. You know, if I put my finger in the drink, my mother would say, use the spoon. She'd give the instruction instead of saying no. Really important. And I think it's something we often forget to do as parents. Well, you see that 50s, more structured teaching social skills, I think makes a difference. And that's why I, I had the guts to go up and get the card from the editor. I wasn't afraid to do it. Right. And that goes back to doing these parties when I was seven and eight years old, talking to guests at dinner parties. And all the kids in our neighborhood did that in the 50s. Right. That's not a difficult thing to do. It is. a. It's great. And it's really important. I think oftentimes as families, we tend to socially isolate, especially in the beginning, when really we're doing a huge disservice to our whole family, actually, not just the individual with autism, but the whole family. No, you've got to get these kids out doing things. I've had parents say once their kid got out and got a job, he blossomed, he bloomed or she bloomed. I've heard that over and over again. That's what we saw with Jordan. Through the shirt shop, we set out to teach her a job skill. But what we ended up accomplishing is it has changed her life in every single way. As she learned a job, she had something to fill her time with. As she had something to fill her time with, her confidence went up. Then her language increased. It literally positively impacted every part of her life. And that was something we never really thought out. We just thought, well, we don't want her life to be sitting and watching YouTube every day when she graduates high school. She needs something to do. And so we just set out to kind of fill her time, but it literally changed every aspect of her life for the positive. Well, the other thing is a person with autism is bottom-up thinker. You got to fill the database. See, the way I understand something in the future as I compare it to something that's in my database. That's the same way computers think. Well, you got to get them out there doing things, put data in the database. It's that simple. Yeah. Well, I hope through listening to this podcast that parents, teachers, and even, you know, our random business owner, owner followers are encouraged and see the urgency of getting our individuals out there, meaningful employment. And I truly like 
following you, reading your books, listening to you speak has truly inspired me so much. And it probably was one of the reasons that gave us the courage to jump out on this limb and, and do the shirt shop. Because well, that's, good. that's just great. It is that's because wonderful. that's what we needed. Um, so can you tell our listeners one more time, the new book you have coming out and where anyone could go to get your books if they well, the want new to book right here it comes out October 11th, the visual thinking, the hidden gifts, the people who think in pictures, patterns and abstractions. And this book contains a lot of the science Okay, that shows that different kinds of thinking exist. You have the object visualizer like me. We're good at animals, art, mechanics, and photography. Then you have the visual spatial pattern thinker, your math mind, good at computers, math, chemistry, physics, music. And then you've got your word thinker who thinks totally in words. And if they're on the autism spectrum, they might be very good at specialized retail, selling cars, selling specialized financial products. They may be very, very good at that. Yeah. And a lot of people are mixtures of the different kinds of thinking. But there's scientific evidence that we have in this book to show that different kinds of thinking exist. And we're actually losing skills in the skilled trades. And, is it, and, and if you want something like a poultry processing plant right now, you got to buy all the equipment from Holland because we don't make it anymore. Wow. Yeah, I think that's pretty seriously. Yes. Pretty serious. Also, the state-of-the-art machine for making electronic computer chips comes from Holland. Hmm. And that goes back to taking skilled trades out. I'm talking real high-end skilled trades. Yeah. I think in general, even not just looking at the high-end skill trades, like you look across the United States and we have an employee shortage across the board. And yet we have so many individuals with autism and other disabilities that could fill jobs very well. We, you know, we need to get them trained, find something they're good at. But I mean, they could be a huge resource in a lot of different fields. Well, as I said before, about 20% of the skilled people I worked with, these are people patenting complicated mechanical equipment. At least 20% of them are either autistic, dyslexic, or ADHD. And I am saying that seriously. Yeah. And the problem is those people are not getting replaced. We've got a skill loss problem. Yeah. They're playing video games in the basement when they ought to be fixing a water system in Jackson, Mississippi right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope this has encouraged everyone listening. Um... I hope this message does for other people what your message did to me years ago. Um, because again, I credit a lot of Jordan's success from things I learned from you. So I well, thank cannot you. thank you enough for taking the time to join me. It truly is an honor. You are just like literally one of my heroes. So um, thank you. the way you've helped me help Jordan is irreplaceable. So I truly thank you. I encourage everybody to go out and get your book and learn how they can help their child be the best they can be. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Be Kind to Everyone podcast. 
We know your time is valuable and we appreciate you spending it with us. Word of mouth is the number one way people learn about new podcasts. So we need your help for people to find us. Please, please, please tell everyone you know about our show. To learn more about our story and see our shirts, go to BeKindToEveryone.com. Thanks for listening. Have a good day, you guys.